Something has just happened that is probably forever going to change the nature of GM's journal. In simple terms, there's a new world that I'm creating. And in maybe a week or two, there'll be an episode in which I'll start to talk about it. I've already you know, written those words, I guess. But I wanted to let you know that whilst I'll be journaling the stuff I'm doing for my ongoing fantasy games, the stuff for this new project is going to stay under wraps. It's going to stay under wraps until the individual episodes of that game are played. And I don't know how long that'll be. So, if you notice gaps in the in the journal, it'll be because something has been just skipped over for now. But of course, as has always been the way with GM's journal, when the thing that's been skipped has been played, oh yeah, I'll share that with you. I hope that's okay. I hope that's not too frustrating. But I hope that you'll understand. The only way I'm going to create this great thing that I have in my mind is really not to talk about it yet. Game on. Welcome to the Roleplay Rescue Game Master's Journal. My name is Che Webster, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of my own roleplay journey, day by day, week by week. Each journal episode features my audio notes recorded here and there over the days between my regular gaming sessions. Assembled into a rough edit, these notes form a journal and let you take a peek behind the GM screen. But be warned, there are spoilers aplenty for anyone who plays at any of my gaming sessions. GM's journal has become a popular bonus episode. I aim to release each journal after the sessions I am preparing for are over, offering listeners insight into my own creative process. It's a pretty candid and messy snapshot of my inner life as a gamer, so you have been warned. Game on! Hello and welcome to another episode of the GM's Journal. I wanted to talk about the amazing number of callings that I'd had this week, all relating to the question of momentum. It seems like I struck a chord last um, episode, and I wanted to share all of the call-ins. But honestly, some of them are so moving and so touching that I don't really quite know how to respond to them. Normally, I'd like to make a personal response to each, but in a lot of ways, I think the best way of approaching this is simply to slot them into the episode as they arrived in my inbox via Anchor and kind of let them stand on their own. Some of them are deeply, deeply emotional comments and it's obvious that the people sharing their thoughts really mean what they say. Suffice it to say, guys, thank you so, so much for calling in. It makes a massive difference to me and it has helped me realise that, seriously, when it comes to losing momentum, I'm really not on my own. Hey Jay, um, just listening to you talk about energy and momentum and uh, that's very much something that I struggle with. Um, I've got the added fun of 
suffering from MS. So for me, energy is about as rare as uh, Yeti's milk. Um, but, uh, well, I've also spent a vast majority of my life living in my own head. So I know what that's like. But I noticed you said that you struggled to find uh, the energy to GM with groups and uh, also the joy that you get from world building, from solo. And uh, yet you also point out that time away from groups um, makes means you struggle with momentum. And, uh, you know, you talked about that two-way flow of energy. Oh, my uh, second Jackson. Look at that. Um, yeah, so you obviously clearly value that feedback. And, I mean, I'm sure the sort of inherent contradiction in that isn't wasted on you. Um, but I just, you know, I think there's something to ponder there in finding that balance. Um, and I just wanted to say that uh, you're not crazy and you're not alone. And uh, thanks for putting it out there. Take care. It's Monday morning, bank holiday. So the bad news is that I asked the guys to list out the sessions they couldn't make um, between now, uh, well, going forward really from now. Turns out that basically no weeks in July or all of August are available to both players. So basically between now and um, September, there are three sessions, they're all in June. And quite frankly, I just made the suggestion that perhaps we should postpone our campaign until we can start it properly because three sessions and then two months gap, that's going to kill me. It's going to kill any campaign I'm trying to write and anything I'm trying to work on. Uh, the loss of momentum in that time will be terrible. And so, in truth, I think I'd rather not start. And also, the upside of that is it would give me the entire summer, those two months, to actually put something together. On a brighter note, I guess, I suppose, um, I'm reading an e-book... Um, I'm reading The Complete Guide to Creating Epic Campaigns by Guy Sklanders, who is the the face and the voice of How to Be a Great GM on YouTube. The recommendation came from talking to Janet Forbes from World Anvil. And oh, whilst you know me, pretty old school, so the idea of kind of reading about producing some kind of plot-driven game um, is to me quite foreign but I decided to read it because I feel like I need to challenge my assumptions and I spent a lot of time recently in the old school camp and I've kind of largely ignored uh, the new school if you like <laughs> now the what is popular right now is plotted campaigns um and whilst that kind of goes against my nature somewhat, I think, um, I am wary of becoming what the angry GM calls uh, the sort of GM who runs a game where people just dick around doing nothing. 
I am quoting him there. Um, and yeah, I think what I'm trying to do is see again what elements I can take to make my game better, make my game good. Um, and it's an interesting read. Um, it was not quite what I expected, let's put it that way. Um, Bicelanders seems to understand. Uh, many GMs don't seem to understand this. They need to understand that player agency is really important. And what he is talking about doing, really, is setting up the actions of a, a nemesis for players. And this resonates, it connects to some of the stuff the Angry GM talked about. Sort of brings me back to him in a lot of ways. So there's a fusion there, there's a uh, a connection there that I'm interested in pursuing. So I'm going to read through this entire book. It's a 140 page PDF. Um, about 60 pages in as of this morning, having picked it up last night. And um, yeah, I'm just going to let that mull around my head as well. Especially if I've got two months in which to prepare a campaign. <laughs> so we shall see. Today, it's Deb's at home with me, so it's going to be pretty much a day off. I'm going to just read, I think, and let my brain process this stuff, and we'll see where we go from there. Spent some time today watching How to Be a Great Game Master on YouTube. Um, some of the videos are kind of you know, handy and interesting. There was one particular video, though. Named, are oh, you a dick GM? And whoa, kind of hit home, I suppose. Turns out I'm a dick GM, I'm the board GM, which for this guy is like one of the worst there is, as you put it. If you can't even tell a story that you're interested in, then you know, what are you even doing at the table? It's kind of the message I got. Yeah. What am I doing at the table? Narrative Gamers. Reading his book. It's alright, it's got some good stuff in it. Some interesting ideas. But also some things I know that I... I don't do, like... I don't fudge dice rolls and I... Dice rolls matter to me. But apparently that makes me a, um, what is it, tabletop wargamer. Yeah, been a tabletop wargamer. But apparently there is only really one way to roleplay and it's not the way I'm doing it. And the impact of all of this has been to really bring me down. To really knock me down, actually. I really doubt that I should even be doing this. And I'm sure that's exactly not <laughs> what was intended. But there you go. Tuesday morning, I just woke up um, and had a lovely email from um, Aaron Barkley. Um, I hope that's how you pronounce it, Aaron. Aaron. Um, Aaron, I don't know whether um, you listen to GM's Journal. I kind of suspect you do. But I just want to say thank you. It's great to receive your um, email about running Mythos Classic Fantasy 
at a school club and whether that's a cool thing or a wise thing to do. I sent you a reply, obviously. But I just wanted to kind of note that it's awesome and brilliant and amazing to get asked the question. And thank you so much for emailing me. Um, I hope my answer is of some help. But it really picked me up this morning. And I uh, just really thank you for that. Cheers. Quick unboxing. Um, got a box from Troll Lord, I think. It's coming all the way from the United States of America, which is glorious. And I'm just unboxing. I love the way these are packaged, actually. They are like very secure. Put that in <laughs> Get in right. Oh, lovely. Some lovely chip things to throw in the bin. I only have one complaint um, with a lot of companies, it's the use of these plastic chip things. The best people for this are actually Docs Direct, who package everything in paper and use paper spacers. Pretty good. And cardboard spaces in here are great, that's cool. So basically it's the tone of the unclean for castles and crusades. And beyond the darkness and beyond all sense lies a gulf of empty fear where true evil lurks. Uh, Tome the Unclean includes all of the familiar denizens of the darker plains. Here you will find Demogorgon, Orcus, Asmodeus, Baal and Mammon, plus legions of others. All of the major and minor demons, greater and lesser devils, and a veritable host of flora and fauna within these pages. Nice hardback book, what are we talking, 140 odd pages? Something like that, or 160, I don't know. Go to the back. My guess was around about 150. 143 pages. There you go. Um, black and white, colour uh, art throughout, colour cover. Um, really nice. Really, really love. It's basically another monster manual of devilish and demony things. And for me, kind of completes my Castle and Crusades set. I have all of the monster manuals. This is the latest. But for me, the one thing that was truly missing from Castle and Crusades until now was all the demon and devil stuff. You know. Awesome to see. And also with that I've got a Castles and Crusades GM screen. They published a very limited number of these and it looks really gorgeous. Um, I'm not one to use GM screens so much these days. I'm kind of trying to move away from it. But still, it is a gorgeous one and it will have reference sheets on it. It's really handy and that's great. Anyway, right now I've got a dash. Errands to run. Okay, just on a very simple thing, but I guess like it's worth sharing even the simple things. I'll for a reminder from Austin Cleon's book about you know, keeping going with creativity. He reminded me that it's really important just to make lists. And the list I've made today is a list of all of the locations on the GM's map for Northern Palantia for the fantasy campaign that I'm running, or at least preparing to run. And I've made really two lists. I've made a list of all of the, what I call, places of adventure, which includes, you know, Monster lairs, dungeons, caves, uh, camps, monuments, any place of genuine interest that I am going to be turning into a location on the map. You know, a location of adventure, a place where stuff's happening. Additionally, I made a list of all of the settlements of Palantir. So, there's quite a long list of all of the villages and towns and inns and other things, forts, what have you, that kind of make up the area. And my plan with the list, really, I've put the places of adventure in a sort of strict A to Z kind of order. Um, but I have taken the settlements and I've organised them on starting with Grimm's Fort, sort of working outward. So 
the most adjacent and in that kind of order until it gets to a point where it kind of becomes a bit irrelevant and I just got them in an order on the list. And the list is very simple. It's just name of the place and what kind of a place it is. And this is the basis for me to then work through each of those places and detail them. My plan is really to go onto World Anvil, create the maps already on World Anvil actually, create pins, drop those pins into each location and put some basic information on each location in. Um, and then from there, I can start to deal t detail at each location. So we'll, you know, do the map for the, the village or whatever. Um, you know, if it's a place of adventure, the describe the place, do detail the place. So what I'm hoping is that gives me a really good basis for starting to do some work over a long period of time. Because what I'm really trying to get into is a habit of doing a little bit every day. So even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes of work every day, uh, over the coming months and weeks, um, should that be weeks and months? Okay. Anyway, if it only be like 10 or 15 minutes, I get in in a day, at least I've got something to be working on. I can make, add a little bit more to my, um, campaign and, and kind of do that and feel like I'm working through that long list. You know, do I feel like working on a settlement? Do I want to work on uh, a place of adventure? I've got a kind of a plan. So in terms of detailing my sandbox, I basically have, um, a map and loads of locations and I'm now ready to start really populating those and the first pass is going to be very simple the places of adventure as I think I've said before just need a rough idea we're talking about um, two or three sentences a short paragraph of description whapping it all into World Anvil so there's at least a beginning of things and from there I think I can start to seed rumors and sort of see if I can draw the players into um, coming and investigating those things. So there we go. That's where I'm up to so far. And, you know, it's quite exciting. Once you start, I think, again, I pick up some momentum. I start to get excited about the campaign. And that's a really good thing. Quick update. I've uh, spent this afternoon working on introducing, for want of a better phrase, a big bad evil guy to my Kingdom of Palantir campaign. Now, I don't want to share much of the detail because it'll spoil everything for my players but hmm so i've been following thoughts around some of the advice for i was reading over the last couple of days about kind of introducing cool i guess for want of a better word plots um but you probably guess that i'm pretty anti storytelling and plots um, I basically don't prep plots. I believe very strongly it's important to prep situations instead. And the argument for that is all about player agency. And I guess I suppose I better kind of get um, my episode on uh, that sort of stuff out there at some point soon so I can explain it in more detail. But suffice to say, even though I'm against plots um, and I'm sort of, you know, I'm not going to be doing any of the kind of stuff um what i do want to introduce is a significant threat to the campaign and that means i had to create a big bad evil guy and also needed to work out the big bad evil guy's wants and plans and essentially that breaks down into um, a whole load of useful bits and pieces and that's when guy sclander's book came in useful because although 
The book is written by somebody who is a narrative gamer and big time storyteller and very much against my kind of way of thinking in lots of ways. Um, there's a really useful sort of section at the start of his book about creating big bad evil guys um, and working out what their scheme is basically. Uh, so for want of a better word, what the big plot they have going is. And I found that really useful and really helpful. So I've been using his guidelines and it's kind of got me as far as essentially kind of listing out the sequence of events, if you like, that if nobody interferes, this is the sequence of events that the big bad evil guy will follow and uh, eventually kind of do the thing they want to do, which is going to be bad for a lot of people. So what I'm putting in motion, I guess, is a whole kind of um, sequence of events led by a big bad evil guy, which, you know, the players may or may not choose to interfere with. So it's certainly going to be the case that the actions of the Big Bad Evil Guy are going to interfere with what the players want to do, and that should lead to some fun. But of course, I'm not prepping plots. I'm not prepping specific adventures that link to that plot yet. I just kind of have a sense of the opportunities that exist, if you like. And of course, I guess the best thing that Guy Sklanders is kind of suggesting, this is the, um, the great GM, uh, is that um, having that awareness of the kind of key steps that the big bad evil will go through means that you can set up opportunities, if you like, or offer opportunities, I think is a better phrase, offer hooks to the players, clues to the players, uh, that, you know, there's an opportunity here to, you know, scupper that plan. And um, that sounds fun to me. It actually sounds quite fun to not just set up kind of locations in my sandbox, but also various situations that are going on. And I'm going to use the three clue rule to set up like hints that various things are going off and just see how the players react to that. And I'll obviously have to sort of, if the players go off wanting to chase one of those things, then I can create the adventure for that. So, um yeah, I think that sounds fun. I think that sounds exciting and interesting and it's going to add some depth, I think, to my campaign. And it also excites me. So I think one of the big problems I have with campaigns is, you know, the players doing what they want to do, but there's not much for me to do other than react. And by putting the big bad evil guy out there, um, but whom, by the way, you know, to me, it doesn't matter one way or the other whether they succeed or not. But it's really important that I have something to play with, if you like. I have some characters out there in the world doing shit that basically uh, could be fun and could yeah, seriously affect the circumstances in the Kingdom of Palantir. So I think there'll be a lot of fun as GM to play with. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to see how that plays out. It's a bit of an experiment, I suppose, to see if I can bring that element from the narrative gaming circuit into and plug it into um, this uh, kind of broad sandbox approach. And I'm hoping that it avoids the players feeling like there isn't anything to deal with. I mean, there are obviously lots of things they could do, and they could choose to do whatever they wanted, because I really am at the highest level of agency in my head. That's what I want to provide. But I think for players who aren't ready for that or who aren't used to that, it would be interesting if I can provide them clues and hooks and hints that might offer them adventures that they can take um, or not. But if they choose to take them, they are proper, like, get involved with something in the world that matters kind of 
um, hooks, if you like, situations they can influence. And I think that'll turn out to be fun. Hello, Jay. James here, first time caller. Uh, midway through listening to your episode on losing forward momentum and Oh, don't I know a thing or two about that. But uh, hopefully as an encouragement to you, I'd like to let you know that your podcast specifically, and along with a few others like Spike Pit, have uh, encouraged me to uh, put my thoughts out there in podcast form. So, you know, you're uh, constantly uh, maintaining your momentum has uh, helped me to maintain mine. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. Hello, it's Wednesday. It's been a bit of a funny old day. Spent the morning being creative, wrote an episode for Roleplay Rescue and recorded an episode for Roleplay Rescue and edited another episode and got that out to my Patreons early, ready for Saturday. And all that's great. I had a lot of fun doing all that stuff. And then, basically... I've just been sitting around, watched a bit of Netflix, been watching The Last Kingdom. I'm up to series three now. And have not had the desire very much to do much else. Um, have made a couple of decisions, though. Friday's game, I think I mentioned that we, the Friday guys, we are going to be out play for probably three sessions and then not play again for like two months. And I know me. I know that that'll stall any campaign I try and do. And so I think we've agreed... I'm going to dig out the Call of Cthulhu starter set, and I think we're going to have a game with one of the adventures on Friday night, and we'll see what we make of it. I believe that the first adventure is actually designed for just like two players, so hello GM. So I'm going to give Cthulhu a game, and I will go from there. I've got to prep that. I'll hopefully do that tomorrow. But other than that, very little planned and very little progress today. I guess I needed a day off, and I'm not terribly worried about it, but it has felt a little bit odd, to say the least. Hey Chase, Colin, um, I'm amazed you feel that you could be alone in your feelings regarding loss of momentum when running games. I think if you're playing in, in a group and you're not getting feedback or or there doesn't seem to be that spark of enthusiasm there. I, I think it's probably very common. I know it affects me. I'm not surprised it affects you. But you don't, you know, you lose that, you lose your mojo. You're not bouncing ideas off of each other. And uh, if players are not invested, that is the pits. I, I experienced a similar thing coming out of art school. I was in a creative environment and then when I came out, I really struggled because I didn't have those people to bounce my energy off. So, no, nah, you're not alone, mate. Not at all. Anyway, good one. Catch you later. One of the things I love most about the half-term holidays is that, um, generally speaking, Deb doesn't take holiday with me, which isn't a good thing. <laughs> But there is an upside to her being at work. And that's that she goes to work about 6am and she's just gone about five minutes ago. And I get to do something which Joseph Campbell described as creating a bliss station. 
I think it was in The Power of Myth that Joseph Campbell wrote about the importance of creating what he calls a bliss station, which is basically the creative space and spot or time in which you can be essentially isolated from everything else around you, all the distractions around you, and you can be creative and you can write or you can paint or whatever it is that you do. As a writer, I find this really helpful. What I find particularly helpful is this idea that it's not just necessarily a place, it can be a time. Um, so wherever you are at a certain time is where you go and be creative. And for me, at the moment, it's kind of a bit of both. During the holidays, I come to our front room. We have a dining table, which is usually covered in rat paraphernalia for the rats to run around on. But they're all in the cages. And whilst I tend to leave the stuff out, I tend to move um, some of the coverings that sort of and create a space on the table at the end. Where I usually sit is GM, actually, the end of the dining table. And I set up my computer, which is probably audible whining behind me. And then I do something that Austin Cleon suggests in his um, in his book Keep Going, which is to actually go to airplane mode. I turn the phone to airplane mode. I turn the iPad to uh, silent mode. And I kind of block out the world. This is most powerful when you first get up in the morning and you completely risk, resist the urge to let the rest of the world in. In that fuzzy bit at the start of the morning, which for me is my most, you know, kind of best time in many ways for writing. Um, in that fuzzy bit where you've kind of woken up and you've been about, you've had breakfast, um, you, but you're not quite yet fully engaged with the day. For me, I love that space and I love that time. And um, to just block out the world is something that really I've only just learned to do. But just to block out all of that stuff, not worry about it for a while. It's still going to be there. You know, um, social media accounts, the email, the news, all that's going to be there. And actually, it's quite a good discipline just to sort of ignore all that and bring yourself to creative space. So... This morning I'm doing what I've done every morning this week, which is to sit down and try and write an episode for Raw Play Rescue. Uh, and then after that to do whatever I feel like doing because it's a holiday. And it has been very powerful. Um, it has been very helpful. And I just wanted to share this couple of minutes before I start writing. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm really quite enjoying reading the Call of Cthulhu introductory rules and the first adventure paper chase. I'm almost finished. I've just got the last bit of paper chase to read, but it's a nice little adventure. Very simple, at least from a GM's point of view, the keeper's point of view. Um, and the introductory rules are great. They're well written and well organised and, you know, not too verbose. And I think there's some very clever things in the scenario too. I think the way in which it's introducing information is kind of cool. I guess I'm interpreting it through the lens of the way I play, which is much more freeform than perhaps some people. Um, but 
yeah, it's it's good. It's easy to run, and it teaches in a very nice way. It teaches like when to get people to make roles, and why, and how to push those roles, and the consequences of doing so, and all that kind of stuff. It's good. Enjoying it, and I rather suspect that um, depending on the guy's reaction, but I know as a as a, as a keeper, <laughs> potentially, um, I'm really quite looking forward to running it. And that means I I might want to run it again. We'll have to see. Hey, Che, it's Jeff. Um, as far as lost momentum goes, I, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, when I run a game for folks and then I don't get any feedback, or I don't get any feedback throughout the week until the next session, I get really anxious about if uh, what I'm doing in the game is is what the players want or if they're enjoying it. And it's especially hard with online games because it's really hard to read body language and a lot of context gets lost in voice chat and stuff. So I'm right there with you. Uh, you're not the only one. Ooh, now, what's this? The box. Oh, 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 oh. you're such a naughty boy. I just love opening prezzies, little parcels. I do. And you know that I'm a game addict, so there you go. No question of that. This one's from Games Law. Okay. This one is. A very special thing because whilst I pretty much am at the end, let's get rid of these chips. I am personally pretty much at the end of trying to collect new games. At least for now. Um, there is one game that I have coveted for a very long while and which I I have owned and then sold over because I never get around to playing it but here it is this is Star Wars the role-playing game the 30th anniversary edition from originally West End Games and republished by Fantasy Flight and here it is and uh, ladies and gentlemen this is something that I find I keep returning to I really like the D6 system, which it's based upon. Um, it's a good heroic game engine, and one which, I don't know, in a lot of ways I'd rather I'd spent more time playing. Uh, but also, whilst I love the Fantasy Flight Star Wars, and I do actually think it's a pretty good game, I tend to bulk. weirdness of it all really and I keep coming back to you know d6s and so I now have a slipcase Star Wars role-playing game 35th edition it comes with two books um, <laughs> and a nice advertising pamphlet for the new game which is you know the current fantasy flight game by the way fantasy flight one I own loads of all the core rule books, um, and would happily play it, and have played it, it's very cool. 
Well, there's a the thing. I just opened the cover of the Star Wars role-playing game. Uh, 30th anniversary edition. And right inside the front cover it says, In memory of Stuart Wyke, without whom this would not be possible. Hmm. <laughs> you sort of forget that um, Stuart, who died maybe, what is it now, 18 months ago? Uh, from Nocturnal Media, he was um, very deeply involved in bringing games back to the table, reprinting stuff, re-editing stuff, and worked for many years, and yeah. Was somebody who really influenced things. Say more, really. So here we are, the Star Wars RPG, <clears throat> and it's cool, it's a good reprint. Um, these more hardcover bounding, all the rules, full colour, well no it's not full colour, it's black and white most of the way through with colour panels, which I think is as the way it was back in those days, <laughs> the T65 X-Wing. You see this game was originally published. Let's have a look. First printing, 1987, which is long before any of the, you know, after the first three films and long before anything that came after, shall we say. 40th anniversary of Star Wars itself. Um, was, yeah, two years ago, and republishing this. It's 30th anniversary is a really cool thing. I seem to remember at the time when this came out, the Star Wars wasn't necessarily the huge thing that it is today. I mean, yeah, everyone went and saw Star Wars. <clears throat> but I'm not entirely convinced that um, people truly, really, understood how big Star Wars was to become. Anyway, I just speculate the drivel. These books back in their box, this suitcase, if I can. Um, so yeah, you got the the coral book and the source book, and uh, they're gorgeous. <laughs> and I'm really pleased I got it, even though it's very, very naughty. Very naughty. Hi, Che. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Oh my gosh. What you said makes so much sense. I've mentioned on my podcast sometimes with partners on a website that's specifically for that. Uh, it's more story-based, and it's mostly adult-themed, but not all. And um, I run into that problem all the time. You know, I will have a story idea, and I will start writing it, and the other person has their own ideas about the story, and every once in a while they mesh, and it is like nirvana. It is like, it is like, finding a four-leaf clover. It feels amazing, but most of the time that's not what happens. And at some point I burn out and I stop for a while and I might keep writing people I mesh with, but it becomes like almost a drain, like a constant drain to know that I have something waiting for me to write that I'm not feeling it. You know, I don't feel the burn to write about it or I don't read the 
my partner's response and have an instant response pop up in my head like happens when a story is firing on all cylinders with a partner. And I just, I miss that feeling so much. I recently went back to that website thinking I might try again, but it is so hard to find someone you're compatible to write with. It's just painful. And a couple of people I've written with in the past, one of them has terrible writer's block right now. And the other another one who I wrote a story I love with has said he would like to start writing again and I'm super excited but I'm afraid to be too hopeful anyway just a note to say you're not alone hey Chad Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor I was listening to your last podcast and the losing the inertia due to non-playing is definitely something I, I feel is probably um uh, epidemic with a lot of GMs, especially when you have those lulls in play and you are an introvert. I think there's a lot more introverts out there than you may think. I know I'm definitely one, but uh, one of the things I try to do to help myself with that is I come up with things to prod the players into interacting, whether that's through email or just kind of interacting with uh, hangouts and trying to get something going there, you know, to keep keep things connected, keep things, you know, like you said, you were talking about momentum. So I, I guess that's how I deal with it uh, lately. And uh, I have to say, love the unboxing. It was so fun to listen to you. you. sound like a little kid at Christmas. It was fantastic listening to it. All right, Jay, take care, and uh, hopefully we'll get a game on soon. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings me to the end of this particular GM's journal. I want to say... A very big thank you to a few people who called in. The amazing Free Thrall, thank you so much for pulling your second Jackson. The amazing James Dunn of Are You Still Reading Those Fecking Books podcast. Uh, thanks for calling in, dude. I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you to Colin Green from Spike Pit podcast. Always great to hear from him. Jeff Collier, thank you so much for your patronage and thank you so much for your support and your comment. The amazing Liren, thank you again so much for what was a heartfelt call-in. And last but not least, the wonderful Tim and Ivy Shorts from Gothridge Manor and the Happy Whisk podcast, respectively. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. It has been great to hear from you. Game on. That's it for another GM's Journal episode. As always... Please let me know what you think and drop me an anchor voice message to share your response. My goal is to create a community of discovery about role-playing games in which you can feel accepted, whether as a player or as a game master. Come and join the conversation. In the meantime, all that's left is to wish you a fond farewell and all the best at your gaming table. My name is Che Webster and this has been a Roleplay Rescue GM's Journal episode. See you again on the flip side. Game on!